that actually um, takes us. I see that I've left out in my notes. Um, forgotten one of the moments in the film that i did forget existed um until i rewatched it last night matt the women's basketball team Welcome to Can't Let It Go, a deep dive into the things stuck in our heads. My name is Matt. I use he, him pronouns. My name is AC. I use they, them pronouns now with improved audio quality. <laughs> AC has a new microphone today that uh, yeah. helped, I helped them figure out and uh, helped them. Pretty stoked on it. Thanks uh, for the birthday gift, mom. I know you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Today, uh, AC is going to tell me a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff. I will say this might, I, you can tell me, AC, is this going to be a heavier podcast episode? than uh, than the previous ones? Okay, I think at the inception of this idea, the answer would have been yes. But after watching the piece of media that we'll be discussing today, um, I've decided no. I think okay. like we'll we'll walk into that territory and talk about it for sure. But we won't stay there for a long time. Okay. There are some general like content warnings for the movie that I'll give like at the top that you should know about what we'll be talking about because it's in the movie, but not too serious. Okay, cool. You want to tell people uh, what movie we're talking about? Because I think it's relevant for my nugget. The mystery. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite movies, Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar. (laughs) I watched it yesterday. I also watched it yesterday. We were watching it around the same time in Texas. Right around the same time. But first, I want to uh, bring up this little uh, nugget that I... Saw it. I don't even remember where I saw this, um, but somebody. Twitter? Uh, no, I actually, I, I think it was somebody posted this tweet on Tumblr. Oh, um, amazing. That's yeah. even better. I saw it on Twitter. And anyway, one of our earliest episodes is an episode about episode about X-Men and uh, it was about sort of my current obsession with the X-Men comics. And because of that, I follow a ton of people on Tumblr that post a bunch of X-Men shit. We also did an episode that was functionally about Tumblr in a lot of ways. Yes, yes, actually. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah. And uh, this tweet, <laughs> it's Rogue and Storm and Jubilee in a pink car in like the 1990s animated series. <laughs> it just says... Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, 1995. It's like top tier Twitter content. And I think like, okay, let's let's fully bring the context in, right? Like Rogue is a white woman, Storm is a black woman, Jubilee is not explicitly Hispanic in these X-Men, like in this show. Yeah, she's she's Asian in, in the books and in, and in maybe, I don't think that's said in the series, but. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, but like certainly, right, like. Yeah. Other ethnicity, right? Which is literally the setup of Tu Wong Fu, if you're not familiar, um, down to the convertible and everything. Yes. <laughs> About three people presenting as women driving in a convertible through the U.S. From New York? From New York to Los Angeles? We're gonna drive? <laughs> yes, baby, yes. I would love to see, like, an animated short that um, is the plot of Tu Wong Fu, but with Rogue and Storm and Jubilee. I made a rookie mistake and took a sip of water right before you said that, and I am so glad that I did not do a spit take over this <laughs> new microphone. Incredible. Yes, if you're out there and you're an animator who can make that happen, <laughs> I do not have a lot of money to pay you, but I would say very nice things about you online. Yes. Agreed. 
Agreed. With that, AC, I'm going to let you take it and uh, actually get into the movie that we watched. Okay, so... I want to start with where this idea to talk about Chi Wong Fu came from, because I think it's like helpful context. Um, lots of folks are talking about drag generally because of attempts to criminalize drag and quote unquote cross-dressing or presenting as the gender that is not the gender that you were assigned at birth across the country. There are different versions of these like bans and restrictions in different places, most prominently in Tennessee, right? Um, and people are really pushing back against this. And so there are a few things that like planted the seed of this idea in my head. One was, uh, the first was there was a post that went relatively viral that a number of like large accounts that I won't name because I don't think it's worth it to drag them here shared, haha, pun intended. I felt it. So the post, and you probably saw it, right? It it circulated widely. It featured photographs of tons of different quote-unquote drag queens or people in drag from movies and television, basically, and with some sort of caption that said something like, you hate it when regular people do it, but it was fine in all of these cases, right? And it was supposed to be this, like... I don't really know what it was supposed to be other than like drag is normal. I think is like it was well intended. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that actually many, many film depictions of people in drag are inherently deeply transphobic mm -hmm. um, and like deeply problematic, like rooted in the the punchline of the joke is that this is a man in a dress and that is funny because a man in a dress is offensive to masculinity. That was like the beginning of me really marinating in all of these feelings of like, wow, people that I like and respect are sharing this thing and I feel frustrated because of the perspective that I as a trans person have. Mm -hmm. And it's like yet another time for it where I feel like I have to be the, the trans downer in the room to be like, well, <laughs> did you actually know that that kind of sucks? <laughs> um, and is like bad. <laughs> I also think that people's like uh, the people that you and I probably know, right? The people you're referencing probably think of drag in a different way than like your average, like just your average person that is like watching these bands happen and doesn't really have a lot of feelings about it, right? That has maybe seen those more mainstream yeah, representations. 100%. So the thing that lives maybe in your and my head is like, the history of drag and how it's like gone from one thing to another thing to now it's like the RuPaulification of drag, right? Oh, RuPaul. Um, and like we've we've encountered all of that, and you have the perspective as a person who thinks about these stuff, this stuff all the time, to be like, "Hi, my lived experience, and also the people that I'm like." <laughs> thinking about seeing this, like maybe don't match up to the message you're trying to get across. Matt, I don't know what you're talking about. I never think about gender. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny little joke. <laughs> um, yeah, a hundred percent. The second thing that happened was that, um, on trans day of visibility, um, some friends and I were talking about a compilation video that was put together by them and teen Vogue that was like, of sweet, you know, if the version of celebrities singing Imagine was like 
turned the dial down on cringe by like 10. Mm -hmm. Still not my favorite version of media, but certainly not anywhere near as cringe as Imagine, right? And a friend of mine said that they were surprised by some of the celebrities who were in the video. They thought there were some random people in this video about trans identities and protecting trans people. And one of the people that they specifically said that they thought was random was John Leguizamo. And I was like, (laughs) hang on. (laughs) Actually, John Leguizamo makes perfect sense in this context for like two specific reasons. One, if John Leguizamo as Tybalt wasn't part of your queer awakening, like we're fundamentally on different pages. And two, like to Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Mm -hmm. This man um, has a like long history of being very aligned with the queer community. Um, and I think like some of the other people who are in this film, like Robin Williams, right. Who has a stellar, not a cameo, but like a short bit in the early part of this Amazing. film that like, I, I almost forget about every time and I see him and it like breaks my heart all over again because he's such a gift in those few moments that he is in the movie. Um, anyway, John Leguizamo is perfect. Two, two things. John Leguizamo also is relevant, just like culturally oh God, right Moulin now. Rouge. Right. But also just culturally <laughs> right now because of the fucking Mario Brothers movie and thinking back of the original Mario Brothers movie where um, he plays Luigi. He's also Bruno in Encanto. Okay. The children yes. love John Leguizamo. Yes. Like, whether or not, you know, you know these things about like, you know, him and, and, and like queer people generally, like he is having a moment again. Yeah. You know, also, we were watching that scene um, with Robin Williams, and I was shocked that scene specifically, how contemporary that felt. Oh, yes. That conversation at that table, I was like, I've had this conversation with my friends. It is something striking, actually, about so much of the film to me. And my partner and I were talking about this, and it certainly will continue to be a theme, right, as we as we talk today. This movie was made in 1995, And it feels like so many conversations I've had. The only thing that's changed is like the cultural references that we make because it makes a ton. The movie makes a ton of hyper specific like Mm -hmm. 90s and earlier cultural references. But yes, the cadence of the conversations is the same. The feel of them is the same. The like shorthand way of communicating how much for this a thousand, how much for that a thousand, 1500, right? Like is fast and quippy and insider, right? In a way that rings so true to me to like how you and I would talk at uh, drag shows uh, at, you know, our little gay bar in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I just, I, I, we're going to talk about the movie and you've got a whole plan that I've not even looked at. But the one thing I, that I was thinking yesterday while watching it is at the beginning of the movie, they're at this, um, this like drag competition and yes. RuPaul is like giving away an award. And oh, I baby. realized something, I have not watched this movie in 10 years, at least like it's been since college. Right. And I was like, Oh, she's straight up planned the drag race finales based on this fucking scene. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I have an idea. I have a dream and I'd like to see it realized. And she did. And good for her. (laughs) Maybe no fracking RuPaul. (laughs) If you're listening to this, maybe a little bit less on that, but like good for her. Yeah. So I think that a fun way to that I've kind of tried to structure this conversation, Matt, and like with us, what's structure? What right. what's a plan? <laughs> I have a plan. If it goes to plan, amazing. Um, is to just talk us through the movie by uh, talking through 
the four steps to becoming a drag queen. Incredible. (laughs) So before we jump into the four steps, though, I want to give like a little bit of an intro. If you're not familiar with the film, the premise is there are two old queen, older queens. I think Vita would take uh, offense to be calling her an old queen. Um, Two older you know, established queens in the New York City drag scene um, win a drag queen pageant, a competition, right? A a core part of drag are these pageants and pageant culture. They tie for the win. They come across Chi-Chi, Chi-Chi Rodriguez crying in the stairwell. And they say, why are you crying, little Latin boy in drag? And they decide, uh, Vita Boheme and Noxima decide, well, Vita decides and Noxima agrees that they need to take this little drag queen, drag princess under their wing and turn her into a drag queen on their uh, cross country drive from New York to Los Angeles, presumably in the early 90s. It's very much a film that came out in 1995 and is intended to feel contemporary to the time that it was released. There are incredible cameos in the first 10 minutes of this movie, RuPaul included, but other drag royalty like Coco Peru and Lady Bunny, right? Um, This film is notably written by a gay man who is clearly very familiar with what the New York City scene was like at the time. And the movie feels deeply accurate to the experiences, at least in that first 10 minutes right of any gay bar across America Mm -hmm. Um, bigger more ostentatious you know whatever whatever because it's New York these three queens then travel across the country where there is an incident they have to flee their car breaks down um, and then they you know help a little town turn their lives around basically and learn a lot about themselves in the process it's sort of the short shortest version it's worth noting too that there are like some incredible little subplots in this movie that are like really not teased out and also worth noting that this movie is often compared to Priscilla an Australian film with a very similar plot Priscilla Queen of the Desert um and it I think it's not it I understand why the two are compared and often what's said about them is like Priscilla is a better film to Wong Fu is just not as good of a movie compared to Priscilla and I don't know that I agree. I like them both for really different reasons. Yeah, I was going to say, they're both really <laughs> incredible movies. In fact, yeah. one of my favorite experiences in life was um, on the, we were in the home stretch of, uh, you know, getting back home from a tour with a gay men's chorus of Washington. And we, uh, somebody turned on Priscilla on the bus um, oh. for like the last, you know, however long that movie is. Yeah. Um, and so we were finishing that movie as we pulled into the parking lot. It was, it was a great time. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, let's jump into it. Uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept being a boy in a dress, the courage to change with the fashions, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's it. That's step one to being a drag queen. Yes, here we are. We meet our our little cast of characters at their bar. I think it's worth noting also, this RuPaul appearance, how can we not talk about it? RuPaul, a drag queen named Rachel Tensions, comes down from the ceiling in a Confederate flag dress. I was and you know screaming what? <laughs> yesterday. Jonathan and I are watching this and I'm like, the fucking Confederate flag dress. It's so funny, actually. <laughs> like, the thing is that, okay, RuPaul, a black person, is like, you know, it would be funny if my name was Rachel Tensions <laughs> and I wore a Confederate dress. And like, yes, that 
that bit works. There's like some critical thinking that we can apply here. There right. are many people who might, and I, and I in fact have seen a screen cap of RuPaul in this dress references like part of why RuPaul is problem problematic, but it's, it's a funny joke yes. and like, it's okay to laugh at it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I love this moment and I think it really sets you up for, it. and for sure, like the scene setting of like thinking about the people who are going to see this kind of movie in 1995. Remember a time when 40% of America goes to the movies on a regular basis, right? Like this movie is made for a demographic of people for whom movies were not really made, right? Coco Peru and Lady Bunny are no one. Well, they're not no ones, but like there is not the same level of prominence of these drag culture characters in the broader pop culture. Like more people know now who Nina West is than than knew who, you know, Lady Correct. Was, right? Like <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And so, which is not to say that they weren't like to some degree famous in their own right. RuPaul was rising a rising star, right? Had been in a number of things and was becoming a household name, but like there is something to be said for the moment in which this film is created. I found myself over and over again thinking that this film, right? Like exactly what you said before, this film was made in 1995 and it plucked, it feels like it is plucked straight out of today, mm -hmm. like straight out of somebody is making a very similar joke in a drag club somewhere in Florida right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you the, know? The, the one, one thing that got me in the opening scene is there when they're announcing like the winners, they're all yelling, mama. And I was like, that was in the lingo like 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and the like the there is so much like core lingo you hear. Hello, goodbye. Yeah. Like like <laughs> every time they say it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that like the second place that my mind immediately goes to thinking about this, right, is immediately one of the first you know, prom most memorable lines of this film is Noxie asked this l sad little Latin boy in drag why he's crying, right? And pretty little Latin boy in drag, why are you crying? You know, Chi Chi iconically says, oh, it's just because you two are so pretty and you're so beautiful and I'll never be like you. And they're like, okay. <laughs> but I think that like immediately, right, this is where we are seeing the territory of like, the parts of the lingo that aren't quite the same, but all the same, like don't feel unfamiliar to me, right? Mm -hmm. Feel more like how family and by family, I do mean, right? Like the alphabet mafia family, mm -hmm. hate that term, hate myself for using it, oh, whatever, it. <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like how family talks to each other. Right. So I can see a person who is educated on you know, political correctness and what the right things to say are in the right scenarios, you know, having criticisms of this movie and the way that these queens talk to each other from the jump, especially about gender. Mm -hmm. And then there's also like the lived experience of talking about my own gender with other people. And like, part of the thing is that like, we don't have good language to talk about gender. Like famously, I feel like trans non-binary people are like each known for having our own little, each of us have our own little um, like metaphor that we use to describe how our gender is for mm -hmm. us. Like it's like a kitschy little thing. Each of us have a different one. Like, Oh, it's like, it's a car alarm. And when I transitioned the car alarm turned off or, Oh, it's like a bear and it's a, scary thing and it has big teeth and I don't really know how to deal with it. And like every time I see it, I go, ah, and I run away. <laughs> like, right. Like there are many, many versions of this and everybody has their own way that they've tried to explain it because 
the reality is that we do not have good words to explain the things that we have experienced when it comes to gender. And I think that that is what I take away from these scenes that even, you know, 30 years ago, these conversations were like difficult and essentialist in some gender essentialist in some ways and not at all ever like the way that Noxima and Vita talk to Chi-Chi about being a boy in a dress, it never feels, it never feels transphobic or pointed. It is more about the fact that she is not polished. She does not understand how to be a queen with stature, right? To be statuesque like Julie Newmar, right? To be the way that Noxy and Vita see she would need to be in order to be able to win, right? Mm -hmm. And it's never intended to be other than like when Vita and Chi-Chi go at each other's throats later, right? It's That's when you can tell that it's intended to be mean mm -hmm. or cutting or hurtful, right? So I don't know, just a little thinky thoughts. How did you feel about the scene in the car when they are describing mm. the difference in mm -hmm. a drag queen and a transgender person. Like, how'd you feel yeah. about that? Sure. So I think that like, this is one where, oh, those aren't the words we would use for those yeah. things anymore, right? But that's kind of where it ends. Like, those aren't the words that I would use for those things, but there are still people alive who do use those words to describe yeah. themselves. There are still people who were transitioning in 1995 who use those words to describe themselves. And I feel like, right, like, being consciously aware that I was watching it with a 2023 brain, right? Mm -hmm. What is actually more shocking to me in 2023 is like the very racially coded undertones of this film. Mm -hmm. The conversations that intentionally avoid race, the conversations that intentionally name them, like there is a use of the N-word in this film yeah. and it doesn't feel untrue to 1995 and it doesn't feel untrue to 2023 for context right the cop says we don't usually see a white lady driving around with an n-word and a slur for latina people mm -hmm. right it doesn't it one it's a cop using mm -hmm. that language so like <laughs> we'll pretend to be surprised that happened yesterday in america like it probably has already happened this morning yeah somewhere and two again this is when it is intended to be cutting it is intended i I think that it is pointed, right? That that is the only person who uses that specific kind of language. But there are other like casually, <laughs> casual, like what we would call microaggressions, right? Like mm -hmm. calling Chi-Chi sway back, saying, oh, Chi-Chi looks like she just jumped across and was about to jump across mm -hmm. the border, right? Mm -hmm. Like those things are present and complicated. And I think right in that scene, what they say is, and it's, I think it's worth repeating. Hang on. I'm pulling this up over here. Yes. So what Noxima says is when a straight man puts on a dress and gets his sexual kicks, he is a transvestite. When a man is a woman trapped in a man's body and has the little operation, he is a transsexual. I know that. When a gay man has way too much fashion sense for one gender, he is a drag queen. Thank you. And when a tired little Latin boy puts on a dress, he is simply a boy in a dress. And, you know, I think that it is worth saying at this moment that the way that I watch this movie and the way that I experience this movie is that Vita Boem 
is a trans woman. Yes. <laughs> I've been wanting to say that. <laughs> right? Like that's the whole deal is Vita is a woman. She doesn't ever explicitly say that the reason that her parents kicked her out and don't care for her in Caliburin that it is because she's a gay man. She says she gave it all up to be Vita. At the end, she says, I've been waiting my whole life to hear someone say, I love you, Vita Boem, right? Like, she is canonically, to me, <laughs> a trans woman, yeah. right? And Noxima and Chi Chi are both, to me, read as drag yeah. queens. Although, Chi Chi, a little bit less, arguably. I was going to say, the, the relationship stuff with Chi Chi. Um, especially in that subplot seem tells me that there's like a little bit of like gender stuff going on. Oh, I'm sorry. Drag queens do gender fuckery. <laughs> I feel so surprised. Yeah, exactly. I like, I think there's some fluidness there, it, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, it's a movie and they didn't tell us. So I don't know. I think this bring, this quote actually brings us to a great place, right? You're a Segway King. <laughs> um, the fashion, in this movie, my God, every moment of it from beginning to end, every outfit is either stunning or shocking <laughs> in a way that tells me it is certainly fashion. <laughs> like, I think that there are so many iconic moments, I guess, like Matt, do you have a favorite outfit from Tu Wong Fu? So I have probably several, but like one of my favorites is actually not one of the <laughs> one that the Queens wear. It's, uh, what's her name? The the <laughs> woman that they're staying with. Oh, um, Carol Ann. Yeah. Carol Ann. It's, it's at the end of the movie Ugh. when, um, you kind of, you see the Queens like run out, like the cop is like there to, I don't know, fuck some shit up or whatever. And, Oh, he's mad. He's, he's big mad. Um, <laughs> and presumably Vita walks out of, you know, this B and B hotel that they're staying at in this enormous red dress with this enormous red veil just covering her face yeah. it's as large as you get glamour drips off of this lady gaga wishes yes, exactly. right and you know uh they lift the veil and it turns out it's carol ann right and the town comes out to protect the girls from you know this they do their little i am spartacus exactly bit. um but that outfit specifically is probably Ugh. my favorite in the movie I love that one. I feel like the one that shocks me is when Chi Chi um, is having her little romance with Bobby Ray, not Bobby Lee, because yeah. Bobby Lee's a girl. Yeah. Um, and she's wearing the little like bloomers, mm -hmm. like nightgown, tall yes. socks with garter, visible yeah. garters. Look, <laughs> I'm like, okay, now I see where the suspension of disbelief comes into play yeah. with this movie. Because like, in you're telling me that in 1995, this person is wearing this outfit in Snydersville, USA, which is a nondescript one dirt road, 15 building town. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and everybody is just like accepting it and being chill about it. That feels so much of this movie. And like, like camp does not describe this movie and not even it, <laughs> camp is like the only it is both it is both does not describe it as the only thing that you yeah, can exactly you can the, the scene where they're like decorating their room um is yeah and just like throwing things out of the wall um the thing i kept thinking was this is a stage play so funny you should say that Matt. <laughs> 
Did you know that this was originally yes. written as a stage play? Okay. Yeah. I, I, and I know that the the writer also wrote Xanadu, right? Like, yes, that's is correct. Like a, is a playwright generally. Yes. Um, all credit to uh, Douglas Carter Bean on that yes. one. <laughs> But yes, no, it does. It feels like the moment where everybody swirls the set pieces around to make them new or like clips things into place. Right. And it's this like sweet little charming. It gives you the first taste of like, oh, this is going to be about the glow up. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this is about going to be about the moment where there is a transformation. Right. And this is their their way of being like, we simply won't live in filth. Now, that actually um, takes us. I see that I've left out in my notes. Um forgotten one of the moments in the film that I did forget existed um, until I rewatched it last night Matt the women's basketball team (laughs) (laughs) if you want to talk about a moment in this film that makes me say I will defend this movie this movie will be the hill that I die on if someone wants to come for me and tell me that it's problematic nothing is funnier to me as a trans non-binary queer bisexual lesbian word soup um, than them being like oh a woman who we feel maybe doesn't perfectly fit the you know expectations of femininity come right this way all of your friends are in here and it's not a drag queen convention it's a women's basketball team (laughs) it's a women's basketball team in suits because I have been there I have been there I have been the person at the banquet in the uncomfortable outfit that uh, really sticks out and wow just iconic yeah. <laughs> and like so queer coded yeah. right like like que- they are famously queer spaces right women's sports and also like very queer coded in 1995 if I a lesbian went to see that movie and was like oh haha the women's basketball team I would be like I feel seen right. that's funny right um, so if anyone was wondering that's where the lesbians in the movie were and there is the whole range of the LGBTQ presence yeah. in the movie I actually found it really interesting because I think a trap that like very recent, right, like queer media falls into is telling the stories of gay men exclusively. And this one, I is doing that in some ways, but like, I don't know, far less than bros, you know? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that it's like a. Even if you just get like a little nod to like, you know, the lesbian fans coming to see this movie in yeah. that moment, it's like it's more than a lot of things are doing today. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think that that's so true. So and, and I think brings us to a great moment to talk about the problems. Right. <laughs> so the problems again. Right. The racial language in this film is shocking for my 2023 sensibilities, for sure. How did you find um, how they talk about race, especially like when they're in Snydersville? The, I'd say the biggest thing that, uh, you were talking earlier about how there's times when this movie references race and there's times when it Mm -hmm. doesn't. And the biggest thing that I noticed was how Noxima is treated, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and also I do not remember the man's name, but there's a black man in town that one of the, um, the women in the town, um, you know, kind of has a thing for, um, And it's a situation where this town is, like, in some ways represented as, like, backwards, like, hicks and stuff. But in other ways, 
it does the thing where they just kind of pretend things don't exist. And in regards to black people in this movie, that is largely the case, right? Noxima's blackness is, I can't think of a moment where it's not ignored, right? Mm -hmm. Um, At least within Snydersville. I think there's, there's cases outside of that, right? Sure. And also, like I said, the, the man that, um, you know, one of the, the women who lives in the town is, um, you know, kind of pining for the whole movie. Yes. His blackness is not really considered at all. Um, if anything, the thoughts that I was having about it were, oh, it's interesting that we're kind of staging this as like a dangerous place when we arrive. And then Mm -hmm. like him being there and seen as a respected member of the community kind of like calmed that a bit. But also I'm wondering like how much of that is just this movie not wanting to talk about these things. Interesting. So did you catch, so his name is Jimmy Joe. Did you catch the moment where she says about him that he's the nicest colored man you'll ever meet? Uh, nope. Yeah. Yeah. So that. she says that explicitly about him at one point that she, that's like how she indicates that she has a crush on him. She's like, Oh, he's so sweet. Like he's so caring. Like he's just about the nicest colored man you'd ever I did meet. Not catch that. And, um, you know, it is, it, that is something that I was like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And like, you know, I'm not sure. Again, it is something that caught my attention in 2023. But again, I I grew up in Oklahoma mm-hmm. from 1990 until 2021. And that doesn't actually feel out of place for even 2020 Oklahoma. Yeah, there's definitely places in Oklahoma where I could run into that. Edmond was is was a sundown town until like the 1970s, right? Like this is a it it feels surprising now and it also feels of an era. Like it does feel when my partner and I were talking about it one of the things that she said was like, "Yeah, I have some family members who would who would say it like that to this day," right? And Again, it is not something that is ill-intended, although like the 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 complicated conversations about race are like not mine to, are not mine mm-hmm. or ours to have as two white people, but certainly surprising. Yeah, for sure. Um and you're totally right. Like I have family members that I can remember using the N-word growing up, right? And like mm-hmm. I mean, but even the people that are not using those words are using other, you know, coded mm-hmm. ways to talk negatively exactly. about various, various Thug, groups, right? Et cetera. Yeah. 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 And so I think that like, that is the sort of understated, not intended to be problematic. Like actually, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if someone in 1995 would have found that mm-hmm. a surprising way to talk. Mm-hmm. Right. Certainly the girls from New York city seem not to be using that same kind of language to talk about themselves and other people of the community. So now, you know, we kind of come to the other two biggest problems, both the problems in the plot and like the problems that people point to in the story that are like the things that they don't like about it. Right. One is, and this is like a little content note for all of our friends who are listening. If you don't like listening to conversations about sexual assault. Um, then maybe skip the next few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is worth noting that like part of the setup of how they land in Snydersville is that um, the three of them are on a country road after ripping up the map after a very ter- 
intense interaction um, from afar between Vita Boem and her mother standing on the porch of her childhood home. They've ripped up their maps. They're now kind of lost on a back road and they get pulled over by a cop named Sheriff Dollard. Sorry, Dullard. It's a misprint <laughs> on his, um, his name tag. And he is the one who uses the N-word um, and says basically like, we don't like seeing white women drive around with people of color where, um, where you are and asks Vita to get out of the car and assaults her, you know, trying to get her to give him sexual favors, presumably to make the rest all go away. Um, of course, this is very upsetting for Vita for many reasons, including that, you know, what her biological makeup is, is not what this man seems to expect of her. Right. Um, apparently it rumor is that Patrick Swayze, who is iconic mm -hmm. as Vita Boem, I don't think I've said so far. He is so beautiful as Vita. He reportedly, uh, put a corn of cob, uh, cor cob of corn. Cob, <laughs> corn of cob, a cob of corn in his pants um, to surprise um, the person who plays uh, Sheriff Dollard as a little. <laughs> so his reaction was real or whatever. That's what, at least that's what they say. But, you know, Vita shoves this man off of her. Um, he falls to the ground because she's very strong. She works out. She works out a lot um, <laughs> is how they say it later in the movie. Um, and he falls to the ground unconscious and she who at this point has been um, razzed quite a bit for not being the smartest of the group yeah. is the one who goes over to check his pulse and pronounces him dead. <laughs> and, you know, my, my partner and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday after watching the film. One thing for me that sticks out about this conversation around assault is one that the girls never really talk about it beyond that moment. But it clearly in the cinematography, you see that it deeply upset Vita mm -hmm. and made her very sad. And the only time that they come close to like really talking about it is when Chi Chi is razzing Vita for being washed up and for never having experienced love. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know. I think there are so many complex things, but the thing that I couldn't get out of my head is that this was a moment that really differed in what the 2023 version of this film would be for me, because I feel pretty convinced that like the 2023 version of this film would have made that scene a hundred times more graphic yep. and more violent um, to, to, you know, to its detriment. Yeah, I agree. The two things that came to mind for this scene for me were, <laughs> The trailer for The Hate You Give. Did mm. you remember this trailer? Mm-hmm. Um, it is... It's not graphic because it's a trailer about a YA novel, right? The like trailer for a yeah. movie about a YA novel. But it is graphic in an emotional way, right? Yeah. And it's like... Evocative. Yeah, it's evocative is probably the way to describe it. And like... I don't have any deeper things to say about the hate you give as like the concept of a book and, and all of that. But I will say that that trailer being the thing that came on before the movies that I was watching that year Ooh, was, yeah. was rough. Right. Yeah. Um, the second thing, and this is maybe even a little bit darker. So I'll put a big, a second level content warning on this <laughs> one. Um, is it reminded me a lot of the Daniel Holtzclaw stuff? Uh, sure. And, yeah. you know, talking about Oklahoma, you know, and speaking of like the ways that the story could happen in Oklahoma. Right. Um, 
I don't know. Just, um, I, I don't, again, don't know that I have thoughts deeper than that, but I like couldn't get that story out of my head while this scene was on. Yeah. You know, I think the thing that's most interesting about it is that the assault itself is not what is problematic. What is problematic is that this man reports that he was assaulted by three drag queens to his colleagues Mm -hmm. and they endlessly make fun of him, Mm -hmm. laughing him out of the precinct, saying that he was beat up by a girl. Mm -hmm. And that is actually like the problematic and difficult thing in, in like the, that made me feel like, (laughs) and I also have like some feelings like there is also, we'll get to the slam poem in the bar. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) I'm, I sit specifically in the outline I made, but like, there is also this like sort of interesting, coded piece underneath uh, Sheriff Dollard's story that is very much like the kind of story that I don't like of like this man is so upset that he encountered someone who he presumed to be of the same gender because he experiences same gender a- yeah, a sexual it's, attraction. It's like Glee 2011, you know, yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's rough. It's that's not my favorite. That is actually like the part of the gender of like the the gender conversation of the movie that I do not like. (laughs) And then I'm like, I no, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it it comes back at the end. Yes. Right. Like not to jump all the way to the end, but I will say there's another scene later in the movie where Vita is beating somebody up. Right. And it's supposed to be emasculating and et cetera, et cetera. And it's clear that like the things that this movie is doing well in regards to gender um, are not lining up with how they want you to feel right about Vita's gender about, um, you know, the concepts of masculinity generally, right. It it doesn't quite line up a hundred percent. I mean, the other problem, right? Like they're, they're the angels, right? Like the drag queen, gay men save our lives, uh, you know? And like, yeah, it's a trope. It's played out. It's fine. We'll talk about tropes more. Yeah, I also later. was it played out in 1995. I don't know, Matt. I know. I don't know. Pre queer eye, pre original queer eye. Okay, which itself is a problem in a lot of ways. Deeply. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so step two to becoming a drag queen, Matt. Do you remember what's step two? Uh, only because I'm reading your notes. Ignore adversity. <laughs> Ignore adversity, Matt. Don't tell me that you're reading the notes. Ignore <laughs> adversity. Read the notes. Have it be secret. Yeah, I think we just talked a lot about the some of the adversity of, of this movie, right? But there is another part of adversity here, which is like the domestic violence that is portrayed. Um, it becomes a big part of the plot when they arrive at the home slash seems like a, maybe they do a B&B mm-hmm. situation for folks who car, whose cars have broke down on the drive and we meet Carol Ann and Virgil for the first time, it quickly becomes pretty clear that Carol Ann is experiencing abuse at the hands of Virgil. And I will say as, um, someone who has like pretty close relationships with some people who have been in very physically abusive relationships scene is like pretty, these scenes are pretty difficult Mm -hmm. to watch. You know, Virgil berates her for adding too much spice to the soup, but it was Vita who tried to add spice to the soup. And honestly, the most heartbreaking thing is her reaction when she sees that Vita is trying to doctor the soup of no, 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 don't do that. Knowing, you know, what is coming for her. Um, We see, lots of patterns of violence and harm from Virgil, bad attitudes. And, you know, 
I don't know if I feel like there is a version of this story that could be told without that being what Carol Ann's problem is, but it certainly is something that is like the mo the for me the more difficult thing to watch in the film than any of the gender stuff. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I don't know that I have a problem with the existence of this story, right? I think um I don't think you're saying this, but I think sometimes that we get we get wrapped up in like should this concept exist in this story? Yeah. I, and like it, it's really about the way the content is delivered and and like what it means in context. And I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure that in this movie it's it's uh, a poor choice to do this. Um, yeah, but I do wonder sort of what the the point is if the punchline around Vita later on, which is what we just talked about, um, yeah. you know, kind of emasculating him in some way, um, it lands sour, right? Sure. Um, maybe there's maybe there's still enough Carol Ann in there to to justify it. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because one of the other things that is really noticeable to me is like Virgil isn't the only person in this town who is clearly capable of violence. At one point, several young men surround Chi Chi and she is saved by Bobby Ray, not Bobby Lee. Bobby Lee is a girl. Um, it, it's kind of this like clear, right? Like it's, it's, it's about masculinity. It's say, it's trying to say something about like rural America and how rural America thinks mm-hmm. about masculinity between the sheriff and these townspeople very much. Right. And what is actually the most interesting part of this plot to me is how we see both explicitly and implicitly the ways that the Queens clearly talk about the ways that they have experienced violence in their lives, right? Every conversation that they have about Carol Ann and none of them does, it does Noxima explicitly say I have been, you know, harmed or been subject to violence in this way, but she's supposed to be a black drag queen in the 1990s in New York city. Chi Chi specifically says that she is a sex worker, right? Like in that scene where she is surrounded, the thing that I notice the most is she is making jokes because she has a plan. Mm-hmm. She is trying to bolt. Mm-hmm. She is going, she, this has happened to her before. Right. Right. And we see that when they're throwing bottles at her from above in the intro, when we see Chi Chi running down the street with her wig for the first time, Right. Like, and Vita explicitly talks about being physically abused as Mm -hmm. a child. Each of them approaches this situation with Carol Ann differently based on the ways that they have experienced violence themselves. Yeah. That scene where they're all in their room and they can hear Carol Ann and Virgil um, upstairs. One, it's excruciating to listen to. The background noise is like very difficult, frankly. Yeah. Um, You know, Vita is saying like, hey, we have to go do something. And Noxima's like it's not my problem. Right. Like yeah. I know when not to get involved. Right. Sometimes doing something gets you killed. Yeah, exactly. Is what she says, yeah. I don't know. They have like a very frank discussion about why they believe the things they do about this situation. And yeah. right. Like you said, Noxima is not telling us that, you know, she's been abused or anything like that, but she's telling us, right. Yeah. I felt that was the most, I don't know, effective scene of that subplot for me yeah i think it's also like for what it's worth the the scene where like the the acting chops of three incredible actors mm-hmm. like really get to show up patrick Swayze, wesley snipes john leguizamo are all really doing their thing mm-hmm. in that scene in terms of like 
fully acting. Now, I think they are all fully acting the whole film. Don't get me wrong. But like that is a moment where I'm like, oh, this is acting, right? (laughs) Acting like with a little Italian hand, you know? (laughs) And I mean, it is it is from these, you know, scenes where the the say the step two comes from Mm -hmm. ignore adversity. Speaking of ignoring adversity, let's talk about the ba- the bad guy of this movie a little more, Mr. Sheriff Dollard. Um, Dullard. It's a misprint. <laughs> I cannot stop thinking about how I could not write a more perfect parody of the American right in 2023 than Sheriff Dollard. Yeah, I, I, before we talk about this, I just have to say the whole movie I'm thinking, is this prescient or have we, have we regressed? Oh, I think we've regressed. Oh, I I fully believe we've regressed, but I'm just like in, in regards to some of these things specifically, I'm like, or has it like, has it been there all along? Right. All along. And yeah. And because so often media is ahead, right? And sure, we, yeah. we think of our world as existing in one way because our media is telling us the world exists in that way. But in reality, these shitty things have been happening for the past 30 years. And like, the media and our minds have progressed, but the reality did not. Yeah. The only thing that increased or changed was like the amount of media coverage about like which piece of villainy the gay community was doing at any given moment. Right, exactly. I think it's so funny. Like there are so many moments with Sheriff Dollar that what he says is set on the was set on the floor of Congress like two weeks ago. Yeah. Right. Like with reference to trans people specifically. Yeah. But like, you know, there are legislators 30 years later calling queer people demons, calling queer people perverts and corruptors and groomers. Right now they would say groomers instead yeah. of perverts. And like it is, and I think it, it is also every aspect of him. He experiences one slight harm and becomes righteously indignant, high on his own power. He goes rogue. They give him no resources. He says, fine, I will do it myself. I will make a list of places homos go. <laughs> That was what I texted you yesterday and started our conversation. He says, I will make a list of places homos go. One, flower flower shops. shops. (laughs) Two, ballet schools. Three, flight attendant lounges. (laughs) Four, restaurants for brunch. Agreed. Actually, Officer Dollar. Five, antique stores. He sure does go to all of those places. Incredible list. For someone who is not himself a homosexual, (laughs) he sure does have his finger right on the button of where the gays are. (laughs) You texted me. You said that your partner wanted a T-shirt with this list on it. (laughs) It's been requested that I make. Maybe this should be our first merch, Matt, is like a a plain white tee with the places for homos list um, on the front. It's incredible and 
I think that it's so funny, right? Like he's got this evidence of the shoe that was left behind. He at multiple times is just like wielding a shotgun and has like a bullhorn. At the end of the movie, he comes riding into town and does like this little joy ride <laughs> going in circles um, around the town's strawberry festival, which the queens have glammed up mm-hmm. and it's now red and wild. This man is just, he is so... Everything that he says is just, I I don't, I don't know that I have words for it other than it is a caricature of what conversations are like today. Yeah. He's a cartoon character, but like, you know, this man, you you, know, this. you went to high school with this man and he's now a cop in like Inola or something. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) wow. I mean, I was going to say I've met this man and like I've had to be in workplaces with him and like sit on in coalition meetings with him, knowing full well, like this man does not believe in my personal humanity. (laughs) It's totally normal and chill. For context, I used to work in politics in Oklahoma. Listener, you don't know me from Adam. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Um, But yeah, like I the thing about him is just that like while he he is a caricature, but like, I don't know. He just reminds me of so many people that like I could, I'm not going to name names, but like if, if you're a friend of mine, you probably know these people, right? If we went to college together, you know, these people. Oop. And I, oop. <laughs> um, and I think another thing that I love about him is, um, he's a villain and he's never portrayed to be anything other than a villain. And I think that that is something that also strikes me in 2023 and 20, 23, there's a version of this story that someone tries to tell where they like try to humanize him a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? We try to both sides the situation of like, oh, he had this tough childhood where he was bullied for people thinking he was gay. And like now this is where he's wound up and it's just indoctrination, right? And instead, the 1995 version is the more true version, which is like, it kind of hints at these things that never says them explicitly. He's just a bad guy. Oh, yeah. And like, I think that that's good. <laughs> I think that it is better. Yeah. It reminds me of our conversations about Cyril Karn in the Andor episode. <sighs> um, yes. And while I still, I think, do not think that it is doing the version of that that, you know, could have been done in a 2023 movie. And I think that, you know, Andor is trying to say Cyril Karn is a bad guy, but this is why. It, it is still at the same time refreshing to see someone just be a mustache twirling villain, whether how, however competent he is or is not. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could also mention uh, that when Sheriff Dollard goes to a ballet school, he like goes straight up goes to like a children's yeah, ballet school. It was it's really very bizarre. Weird. Reminded me a lot of the groomer conversations that have been. You know had. what? Boy did it. Boy <laughs> did it. Frankly, Boy. frankly, it reminded me specifically of like inspecting children's bodies to decide whether they're going yes. to go to be able to participate in sports. Very much so. And like even even the um I when in the scene where it's like the he's got the checkpoint set up and he's like mm-hmm. holding up this picture that presumably he drew himself of Vita. <laughs> this man must have incredible night vision. I'm just saying. And like how he has no backup. How did they let him set up a checkpoint? <laughs> He drunk on his own power, baby. He's a sheriff. He can do whatever he wants. Okay. It also reminded me of, and I'm being so cavalier about like a very real and serious thing is like, I couldn't stop thinking of the like, oh, 
we always know, mm-hmm. you know, which is this thing that transphobes say about trans people. Like, oh, we always, we always know. We always know which direction people are transing their gender. Or we always know. Like, you, like this assumption and idea that all trans people are like infinitely clockable and like, you know, no. Yeah, <laughs> and also it doesn't matter. And, but like that literal, like, right, both the inspection of children's bodies and also the inspection of people, right? Do, are you literally veto is what he was, is looking for here. But I can see a version of this, which is like, are you passing whatever test it is we want you to pass to be culturally appropriate? Right. And now we arrive at the slam poem <laughs> in the bar. One town over from Snydersville. Matt, I almost peed my pants laughing. <laughs> I, there's so much in this movie that I forgot, right? Like I said, it's been since <sighs> since college yeah. that I have seen this movie. And I frankly could not have told you about the cop. Sure. Like that's where I'm He's at. the bad guy. Yeah. You know? So I'm watching this movie and he is sitting in a bar talking to himself. And I realize this man is doing a slam poem at this bar about gay men having sex. Men acting like women. Men wanting to be with one another. Men touching each other. Their stubbly chins rubbing up against one another. That's about where I lost it. I was like, that's too specific, buddy. That is, you've (laughs) thought about this too much. (laughs) Touching each other. Manly hands touching swirls of of chest hair, an occasional whiff of a rugged aftershave. I also want to emphasize, if you haven't seen this movie and you've made it all the way to this moment, I am not really exaggerating his cadence. It's no, pretty spot on. He's delivering it in like, if you have ever heard a slam poem and you know, like the rhythm with which they speak, and I'm going to say they, but I also mean me. Uh, me. Um, <laughs> this is a cell phone. <laughs> this is a cell phone. It is, it is like, to a T, he's delivering this poem in the way that, like, 15 years later, people were struggling to get right. They're low, baritone voices, sighing, grunting. grunting. They hold one another in manly, masculine arms. Hold one another. Tight. It's... <laughs> I feel like his, like, I feel like his, uh like workshop leader has some feedback about how often often he uses the words manly and masculine. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, this is the moment in this, in the movie where you go, Oh, okay. 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 You know, and, and again, it's the trope that I don't particularly care for, you know, sometimes it is a trope that exists because it's not untrue. Right. But it is one that has been manipulated to often be a punchline in a way that I really dislike. Yeah. It gets used in the same way to emasculate. Right. And like make people like make the actual queer person in the story be invalidated. For sure. Exactly. Um, And you know, this, this movie doesn't do that, right? This movie doesn't try to invalidate this queer person because of this experience. Instead, it gives her arguably an outlet, right? For the, the, anger and emotion that she feels spilling over right to remedy someone else's violence right for them but yeah this and the moment at the end of the film with the farmer are probably just like two moments of comedy that 
I I think, like you said, I never remember that they are there and I pee my pants laughing <laughs> when they happen, right? Which the line at the end is, he says, when the founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, liberty and justice for all, they didn't mean all that, <laughs> meaning they didn't mean drag queens. Yeah. And the farmer says, I can tell you one thing about them founding fathers of America. What's that? They sure had fabulous wigs. It's just, <laughs> I just want to take that, those moments and be like, okay, everybody else can go home. It's, it's been done. It's been done. Yeah. I want, that's the shit that I want to say to people that actually like in 2023, hold these beliefs that are like yelling them on like, you know, Florida legislature floors. Like I want to yeah. be like, you are a caricature. You are saying yes. the things that the like comedic villain in a movie from 1995 was saying verbatim. Like, yeah, it, it, <laughs> I say this a lot and it's kind of kind <laughs> of a joke, but it's not really. It's like if you're going to be bigoted, at least like be fresh about it. Right. Sure. Like at least like do something new. You know, like if this were a reality show for bigotry, I'd be sending you home. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> That's so funny. It's so fucked up. <laughs> I mean, but you're right. And I think that like it is also actually funnily enough, I think of this as like the farmer is actually also doing something that people really think is doing something. Right. And it's just a funny joke. Yeah. It's just a funny joke in a movie. You're not he didn't really like slam dunk on that guy, yeah, you know? It's just cute. He was like, oh, made a cute little quip and like Sheriff Dollar doesn't know what to do with that, yeah. right? Like he would have known more what to do with direct confrontation than with that kind of passing remark. But like that doesn't mean that we should choose the passing remark over the co direct confrontation, yeah. right? Certainly the people of the town said direct confrontation or nothing, baby. <laughs> All right. Step three to becoming a drag queen. Generosity. Putting someone else's needs before your own abiding by the rules of love. I loved this moment in the movie. I, I know you probably have more to talk about, but like the moment when this gets said, is just like, Oh, really it's adorable. so sweet. It's so sweet. So to catch you up to where we are in the story, um, you know, the Queens have now been in Snydersville for an, an ineffable 20 more, 24 hours. Yeah. Um, the longest 24 hours of my whole life. Um, and they have made friends with these townspeople, including a friendship that I'm realizing we haven't talked about at all yet, but is my favorite friendship perhaps of the film, which is a friendship between Noxima and a, a very elderly woman who was presumed by the entire town to be mute and deaf and or deaf yeah. and no it turns out <laughs> it turns out this lady i mean i matt i don't know what your experience of this moment was but i was watching this movie and i said that's autistic representation because this oh. woman did not speak or engage with anyone until someone talked to her about her most special interest in the world. I saw it from the lens more <laughs> of like, um, the ways that we treat sick and elderly people, right. Sure. As if they don't have interests or personalities. Right. Mm. Um, and this town had been sort of treating her as if the things she was into didn't matter. Right. Yeah. And she has this like backstory of being of like running the town's movie theater or something like that. Yeah. And her husband ran off with like the movie distributor and she just 
fucking loves movies. Like she just she loves movies. She just wants to talk about. She knows movies, everything about them, right? And Noxima comes to her with you know this like black actress that she wants to play in a movie when she gets to Hollywood, right? And yeah. You know, they start talking about her, and that's when this woman starts opening up and, and speaking, and just just by like essentially sharing the history of this actress that Noxima is interested in. Yeah, Noxima is literally like listing the movies in sequential order, mm-hmm. right? And so this is the thing to me of like that that is very autistic coded, mm-hmm. right? Like of like listing these things in order, and then her being like, "Oh yes, that's the next one," and then like this older woman knowing all of them in order for like, she then says like, Oh, you want to try Lena Horn next? Mm -hmm. And right. Then can name all of the Lena Horn movies in order. Right. And like, I think that it is such a sweet little friendship that we get to see played out. And one of the truer, it feels like, like one of the more, real kind of interactions, less manufactured, less written as a story Mm -hmm. kind of experiences and points of connection in the story. Yeah. This is not related to the movie at all, but you mentioned uh, kind of the sort of autistic perspective of basically letting someone info dump, right. About, about their special interest. And I, it (laughs) reminded me that like this podcast could basically be called info dump. Um, (laughs) Wow, this, I don't, ow, that hurt my feelings. <laughs> to be clear, I, I mean, from my perspective, I too. I know, I know, I know, but it was just a little loud, and I wasn't ready for it, and it's very funny and very true. So they, you know, now we kind of get into the trope of, like, the makeover moment, right, where we meet these queens, we meet the townspeople, they are all rough and ragged, rough and tumble, and we get these little snippets of each of them connecting with the townspeople to some degree, right, whether it is Noxima teaching the boys how to um, be respectful when you see some ladies um, by holding um, the ringleader of the town ragamuffins um, by his dick um, and forcing him to teach uh, to speak respectfully to the ladies. I think my favorite part about that snippet, Matt, did you watch Alias? No. Well, if you had watched Alias, you might have recognized Michael Varton as Michael Vaughn of Alias. Um, the uh, do I remember what agency they work for in Alias? The CIA. Mm-hmm. He's the actual CIA officer. Anyway, that's a little bit of a spoiler if you haven't watched. Oh, is uh, that the the guy that she was like grabbing by the dick? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, also, if you haven't watched Alias, you should watch the first three seasons of Alias to see a very young Bradley Cooper. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my favorite parts about that show. Great show. Maybe I'll talk about Alias sometime. Yeah. They each have their own sweet little, you know, friendships or or developments. I don't know if Noxima holding by someone by the dick to force them to be polite is like sweet, but it's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he also goes from looking real rough to looking real good at the yeah. Red and Wild <laughs> Strawberry yeah. Social. <laughs> Um, he really took that moment to heart. He really said, get me in the vice and I will act right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but they, you know, they developed these relationships, Vita with Carol Ann, Noxima with, you know, this older woman in the town, 
Chi-Chi develops this crush fling with Bobby Ray, not Bobby Lee. Bobby Lee is a girl. Bobby Lee also has a crush on Bobby Ray. And Chi-Chi very, like, graciously decides, right, that, like, she is going to step aside because she doesn't want to lie to Bobby Ray and not tell him that she's a drag queen. But these queens, and this is another part of the trope, right? These queens have survived this long in the town by passing, or so they think, right? Passing for women. And I think that that brings us to like this really interesting tension between the trope of passing and the trope of like transformation and, and makeovers, right? Like there is this really interesting, like, right. Like the, the moment at the end of the film is all of these people come together and they do their little, I am Spartacus bit of each being like, I'm a drag queen and, you know, Sheriff Dollard. <laughs> That's Jimmy Joe. Jimmy Joe. He's a big boy. He's got a titty. He woo, he really sent it out. Right. And Clara, the older woman whose name I've just finally remembered, um, she says, I'm a drag queen. And Sheriff Dollard says, you're a drag queen. And she says, nothing this pretty could be real. And it's like, I think it's such this fascinating and fun moment. But I think it, it that moment also, too, encapsulates this tension between passing and transformation because all of these women that they are interacting with the way that they have put these women into drag Mm -hmm. is to just dress them up like more glamorous women but they are fundamentally all cisgender women or at least that's the way that they are portrayed are we still using queen is that a thing that we say in 2023 sure (laughs) i don't know i mean i think there's a lot of conversations right about can cisgender women be drag queens can non-binary people right who have experienced being a woman be drag queens right like if you have quote unquote oh god i don't know how again there's no words for gender i don't have words (laughs) other than like if you don't have if you have big old naturals Uh can you be a drag queen you know right (laughs) like if you've got big old mommy milkers already strapped to your chest from god himself (laughs) like can you be a drag queen? And like, I mean, I think the answer is yes, because drag is fundamentally right. Like what this movie is saying is that drag is fundamentally performing femininity, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. That's how I feel about drag generally. Like, I feel like anyone can do drag. Right. Um, and I don't know. Like, I think a few years ago there was this um, conversation that I think is thankfully over among the queer community that, uh, that like drag was in some way problematic, right. Um, towards trans people. Um, and I'm not going to say that like every drag performer has nailed that. Right. Yeah. But the concept of drag existing, I think, um, is universal. Um, it's probably different for people of different genders, right? Yeah. Um, but this idea that certain people can't participate in drag is, I feel like fundamentally against the concept of drag, right? hundred percent. Right. Drag is a celebration, um, an exaggeration. It is, you know, it is joy. It is, um, you know, specifically, trying to be as queer as possible. Right. And this idea that like people can't participate in that because they are, you know, cisgendered and and trying to exaggerate the gender that, you know, 
they already had, right? Um, Or even this one I kind of bristle at a little bit, which is like, can straight people be involved in drag, right? Mm. Um, And like, I think, I think ultimately to say no is, um, again, to undersell what drag is and what drag can be. But I don't know. It's a, it's a situation where you have to know your place, right? You have to know who yeah. you are. I mean, like, listen, I'll say as a trans person who is queer, like, there are some interesting questions about, like, does transing your gender inherently make you queer? For some people, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Some people trans their gender and then they're like, I'm straight. Yeah. And like heterosexual pride, baby, go for it, right? (laughs) Um, But like the, but that's not the answer for everyone, right? Like the richness and the beauty of queerness and and being transgender is rooted in complexity, Mm -hmm. right? And that kind of complexity can't be wrapped up in, uh, you know, ninety minutes like the story of Miss Vita, Miss Noxima, and Miss Chichi, right? Like, so we're not going to get that kind of disc course from this movie but certainly there are people who are going to try to take this movie and put it into part of that discourse where it doesn't belong you mean a 1995 movie about like drag queens is not going to tell me everything i need to know to answer all the questions (laughs) of queerness i mean i think yes and i don't know i feel like it tell it 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 tells me something as someone who's not part of the conversations that i was five years old in 1995 okay um and I mean, so are you. I don't know why I said that. We like, literally six days apart. <laughs> we were literally <laughs> born the same time of the year. But there is something to me that says that, especially I think like this film and other like iconic queer films from that time says to me, like people, maybe they weren't having the same conversations with the same language, but like the same conversations were happening, mm-hmm. right? Like even if the conclusion of, you know, Noxima's bit is that a, when a, gay man has too much fashion sense for one gender. He's a drag queen, right? Like that, that I don't feel like that's wrong. Right. (laughs) Right? Like, like, you know, maybe it's a a gay man is a, is a metaphorical idea (laughs) that like, I'm a gay man as much as anyone else is a gay man. And that's not how I describe myself, but you know what? I'm closer to a gay man than a cisgender woman. So like, what is, what is gender? Who knows? (laughs) I think the the interesting (laughs) thing about thinking about this movie being from 1995 is that, um, my instinct going into the movie was to be like, oh, this is going to be dated, right? Um, sure. And that, to me, is not giving queer people in 1995 credit, right? In yeah. the same way that, like, you might not expect to give the townspeople of Snydersville credit, right? A hundred percent. There was this game that came out um, last year called Pentiment. It is a wild game. Um, it is... The, the visuals look like what's called illuminated manuscripts. Do you know what that is? Um, yeah, it, yeah. Like Monty Python is, is hundred percent. Yeah. And, and it's about like that age of like Bavaria, right? Like it is like told in, and the people are in this story that you would expect to be, you know, generally told in, I don't know, in some really tropey ways. Right. Um, yeah. They have personalities and discuss things and talk about them. Sure. In language that's dated, but like in the same way that you and I would, right. Their contexts are different. But it, like, gives them agency to be human in a way that I think, like, other stories haven't. I personally didn't love Pentiment for other reasons, but it's a a similar situation. But I think that that's so true. Like, right, like, the... 
There is such a version of the stories that we are told that is rooted in sanitizing what history was like, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like this this comes about every now and then. I feel like there was a popular TED Talk maybe 10 years ago that's still stuck in my mind because that's how my brain works about like the value of gossip, mm-hmm. right? And like and part of what she talked about in that TED Talk was like, "Oh, you know, literally these Egyptian hieroglyphic records are just gossip. They're just gossip about who was sleeping with who in this kingdom, right? And that was intended to be like, gossip is normal. This is normal. We've been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years, right? What I actually take away from those kinds of like discoveries of like, wow, can you believe that these people used to do this really you know, pornographic or like whatever, Mm -hmm. like very sexual people used to be raunchy. They made (laughs) dick jokes. The snails are actually dicks in the illuminated texts, right? I don't know if you know about, you know about that, right? I don't, but it's just showing my like, (laughs) my like lack of general historical knowledge. Yeah. uh, In medieval illustrations, like snails are supposed to be euphemisms for penises or something. Um, I, I don't know, like all of that kind of stuff, right? Like, oh, actually everyone for all of history has been as perverted and weird as anyone today and actually maybe more perverted and more weird. (laughs) And that I think is something that like comes up for me when I think about this movie from 1995 and I feel surprised by any of the moments in it. It's like, it's a good reminder that I've, I have a sanitized version of what was happening in 1995 that I've been told. And like the cultural context of this film is perhaps just as interesting as like the film itself, right? That what we have in the 15 years leading up to this film that is never talked about in the film, right? Is the HIV AIDS crisis, right? What is never talked about in this film is like, we're in the early nineties where, and and, like, it's a movie that exists outside of time or like only uses iconic places to ground us in reality. Um, So it's not trying to talk about like the politics of the era, but like it did come out at a time when it was like a little, it was edgy to make this kind of movie. It was edgy of Wesley Snipes and Patrick Swayze. Um, and John like John Leguizamo went on to be in a lot of like very, very queer roles. So like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that it was edgy of John Leguizamo <laughs> because John Leguizamo said, put me on makeup and I'm in. Yeah. Um, right. Like he's in Moulin Rouge just a few years later. Yeah. Right. But these moments of like, This film written by a gay man telling the story of this small town learning and growing and feeling loved by and loving back these three drag queens, two of whom are clearly queer men and one of whom is a trans woman is my read on it, right? Like that is not a story that we get even today, even post-marriage equality. Yeah, right? and I. If what's interesting to me is I didn't know this. It was number one on the bo- in the box office when it came out. Yeah, like uh, there's other problems with movie theaters today, right? Like 30 years have has done a lot to like make movie yeah. theaters less relevant. But when 40 percent of America was going to the movies, yeah. this was the number one film. When I think about if this movie came out today and somehow magically made it to a movie theater, it would never show up in a movie theater today. But if it did, it would. It would bomb. Yeah. It would 1 million percent bomb. It would be loved by the people that saw it. Right? Yeah. But like no one would go see it. 
This actually, this is a great, this is a great moment to pivot into our last step to becoming a drag queen. So I can ask you my closer question for this episode. So I'll give you a moment. Is there anything else before we get to the last part that you like want to add that like thinking about this movie, like what feelings did it give you? Is there something, is there a moment we haven't talked about that you're like, I loved this. I only have, this is not, I mean, it's not strong feelings or anything. I just have to say, we talked about the guy that uh, was very near to assaulting Chi Chi, right? That Noxima grabs by the dick later on in the movie. Um, He wears an incredible shirt. Just. Oh, it's his buddy. He's wearing that shirt. shirt. He's wearing one of the guy in the same crew. One of the guy in the same crew. Uh, Yeah. He's wearing a, he's wearing this like really good suit. Frankly, suits can be boring. This is not a boring suit. Um, but his buddy is wearing this cut off like pink tie dye t-shirt with, I don't know, like the red Borden cow on it, I guess. A giant cartoon bull. Yeah. Giant cartoon bull. It looks, I don't know, like, but it has like strawberries on the horns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, mess of the bull. You get the strawberries. Yeah. And, I, I like, I literally said to Jonathan out loud, I need that shirt. Like I need it. Yeah. I want it. It's incredible. You know what? Who else, you know, who also said that out loud? My partner, Mac <laughs> was like, Oh my God, I need that shirt. That's incredible. She immediately lasered in on it. And I thought that was so funny because you had also immediately lasered in on it. It's going to be Mac and I like hanging out wearing our, uh, places for homos and our, <laughs> Red oh Bulls my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, by the way, okay. I looked this shirt up because I needed to find out if anyone oh, yeah. loved it. Is it me. real? Someone 10 years ago on Reddit was like, can someone pull this image from this movie? Because my <laughs> boyfriend really wants this shirt. Someone last year commented, whatever came of this, because I also need it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad that one of us every 10 years has this feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Ugh, amazing. Okay. Matt, larger than life is just the right size, is the step four to becoming a drag queen. And, you know, at the close of this movie, the moment that we get is like this touching, everybody gets their, gets theirs, mm-hmm. right? Like Vita and Noxima and Chi Chi all like declare and state their intent for like what it is they want to do with their lives, what they want to do going forward. You know, Vita says she wants to go back to where she's from and say, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Your acceptance is welcome. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and that part makes me ball oh, yeah. more than more than any of the like you know, Carol Ann getting her victory against like kicking out her husband more than this, like, you know, this story of the sheriff and the townspeople all saying, I am a drag queen. You can't arrest all of us. The moment where Vita like says that, like, I now know that like, I am, I am myself and that's enough. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Guts me. The way this movie made me like, fully weep at the end <laughs> right <laughs> like it's like a very cute movie but i'm also like i don't know i've, I've felt these things before <laughs> yeah yeah it's big and it's campy and it's funny and also yeah me too vita <laughs> me too you know 
Um, you know, we didn't really talk about like the the tension moment where these queens be beyond mentioning that it happened, right? Where these queens really go at each other mm-hmm. and say truly cruel and mean things to her, right? And it includes um, an iconic wig snatch, <laughs> a heartbreaking wig snatch by a chandelier <laughs> that did make me think if the chandelier could snatch her wig, how did it stay on the in the convertible? But that's none of my business. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. To close the show, though, like to bring it all home, Matt, I want to know what's your fantasy 2023 cast oh, of, uh, of, I mean, RIP Patrick Sweezy. Uh, yeah. I mean, cause uh, I don't know. I would honestly, if we lived in a world where we could just see a sequel to this movie. Yeah. Uh, that's I think what that's I really right. want. I think that's right. Yeah. I, I really tried to chew on this question and I was like, I don't know. Some of my very favorite actors are in this film. Exactly. Wesley Snipes goes on to be in blade and the versatility that that man has is incredible. Okay. Talking about (laughs) if this movie came out, it wouldn't do well in theaters. I think it would do well in theaters. If John Leguizamo was the lead, (laughs) right. And Noxima shows up and they tell some new story. Right. Like yeah, that I would go to theaters to watch that movie. I mean, I think that like there are so many things to RuPaul's Drag Race now, right? Like so many famous and iconic queens that like one of the things that I would love to see is that is one of the hard things about the movie, right? Is like to see the role of Vita played by or or not replaced because I don't think you can replace Miss Vita Bohem, um, right? But like a trans woman yeah. who is also a drag queen of which there are yeah, many, yeah. many who have been on RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> um, you know, to play that role of the leader of the group who has this identity and, and sensibility about her. Yeah. I would love, frankly, just to see, to see more queer people in a follow-up to this movie. A hundred percent. Um, and, and I don't know. We also live in a world now where like, drag has a bigger mainstream presence so it would be pretty easy 100%. to make that movie i i think the the thing that i most critically want though is a return of chi chi right like yeah it, you know whether whether chi chi is a lead or you know or is the lead i should say um or whether it's you know the thing you described i also would love to see a movie that was explicitly trans right um yeah uh, that would be a really incredible kind of like follow-up to yeah. If you out there are making any funny comedy trans, I don't is coming coming of age isn't the right um, classification for this movie. I don't remember finding yourself sure. journey. It's 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 about the friends we made along the way yes. kind of stories. Uh, we'd love to see it. So tell us about it. Um, speaking of John Leguizamo, can't go out without saying that uh, John Leguizamo remains a a stan of queer people. Uh, literally yesterday, John Leguizamo took to Twitter to say, uh, to post a hideous graphic <laughs> of that's a, just a picture of himself with yellow text over it, um, celebrating all of the tr- trans and queer people in his life. Um, and you know what? I just really love that about him. And I think that like, there is something interesting like I, I don't have any sense of like what did Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes like get a lot of shit for being in this movie. Like I didn't really, 
I didn't look because I don't want to know. Yeah, <laughs> right. Fair. Like I think it's like it's like I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes rating of this movie, which by the way it has a terrible rating on oh, Rotten no. Tomatoes. <laughs> and I was like, I saw the the tomato meter. I think it's like forty something percent. Hang on, let me look before I misquote myself here. Boo, 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 boo. Yeah, we'll see it's forty three percent. The audience yeah, score is 71, <laughs> which is like right. the story so, of the audience score, right? So, right. Exactly. This is a movie that has a 40% score from the critics that, you know, I looked at that and I went, no, I don't need it. That's like, it's a cult classic. Okay. Yeah. And cult classics don't need Rotten Tomatoes approval. <laughs> I do wish that I had was, uh, that I had, um, Julie Newmar here with me to end the episode. I feel like we didn't even talk about Julie Newmar at all, but statue ask. Yeah, absolutely. What great prop work of... <laughs> Um, her coming along for this ride. And also, like, I think that one of the things that's so interesting about this is to Julie Newmar is so emblematic of like the references of this film, mm-hmm. right? They made they make so many little jokes and quips that I'm like searching while I'm watching mm-hmm. it to like try to understand them. They make they they made a quip about someone being like someone in a car and it's someone who died in a car crash, right? Oh, like it's like I probably heard it and was like, eh, that's a reference I don't get and moved on. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And there are many of those, but again, feels emblematic of yeah. what conver- conversing, what conversing with my friends yeah. is like. I, um, I just, I was curious and I looked up Rotten Tomatoes score for, uh, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. It is 94 on Rotten Tomatoes, which feels again, huh. that's what I expect for the critic score. Um, and it's an 88 for the audience score. So actually just regular folks mm. who watch these movies, and and are the like kind of people the same. who who put reviews on Rotten Tomatoes like them about the same, <laughs> which is a yeah. big thing that you should color your uh, sure. understanding of Rotten Tomatoes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. God, looking at the cover of the movie for too long, <laughs> I just can't unsee the x-men me <laughs> it's so spot on down to the like ribbon in chi chi's hair yes. oh my god okay the lessons learned from these four steps to becoming a drag queen are that chi chi in spending time with her elders and learning the ways of the world about her grows and when they arrive in hollywood she becomes she gets crowned you know miss drag queen usa and she gets presented the award by Miss Julie Newmar herself. And I just want to say, honestly, the biggest part of Chi Chi's glow up is the wig that she is wearing at the end because it is giving everything like early nineties power fashion. She said, eat it. Like it is so good. It uh, reminded me of Monet exchange. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, with that short clip bob with the long pieces in the back, it is everything. And I think that, like, that is such a moment of, two. I love that moment because it shows me growth on, like, both Vita and Noxima's part, right? Mm -hmm. Who, at the beginning, you know, Vita has this very statuesque, um, you know, demeanor about her and Noxima when you see her in the Miss Drag Queen New York you know 
drag pageant she's like crossing her fingers she's hoping it's her she's hoping it's her and they both gracefully like show the world their new drag child mm-hmm. and in the, in this reveal and you know that is one last part that we didn't even really talk about is that this movie plays on a true and very rich history of relationships between Queens who have been doing drag for a long time and younger queens growing and teaching and learning together, right? You know, that that Chi-Chi says at the end of the movie that one of her resolutions is that she's going to get a shade of foundation that better matches oh her skin tone. Oh, my God. I, I, did I text <laughs> when you you've been yesterday? thinking it the whole movie. Yes. The whole, time, the whole time I'm like, oh, man, that shade does not work. And I sent, <laughs> I sent AC a text uh, yesterday. I'm looking for it at this point. Oh, I said some brand advertising their shade their shade range has to do a foundation commercial with John Lucasamo. Yes. Like like I don't know, like I feel like 5 6 years ago we went through this phase of like various you know makeup brands introducing a whole range of shades, right? Yeah. And I what a wasted opportunity. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's it's this perfect little end cap on a delightful little story that I think tells me so much about like where we have come from and like where we are today, right? The moments that feel so connected to where we are are like both joyous and painful, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's a the Dollard is a painful caricature in many ways because of how true it is. Mm-hmm. And that it was as true in 1995 as it is in 2023. Yeah. But there are also these little moments of joy. And and I also didn't say that I think part of why I find so much joy and and care in the way that this movie presents itself is like because of the small town America kind of place that I come from, right? Like Tulsa, Oklahoma isn't Snydersville, right? right? But like ideologically, it's not that much more evolved in in terms of like what it was like when I was growing up. That, I mean, Snydersville is like half an hour away, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so like, these are in many ways, these feel like people that I knew and like the best versions of what you could hope for of being like, of having the moment of, I can't even believe I haven't said Stockard Channing's name <laughs> in this freaking episode because I love her with my whole heart. Carol She's Ann. so good. Carol Ann. Oh, she kills me. She's so good. And you know, again, it is a moment at the end where she, we don't have, I don't know. My partner and I went back and forth on it. I was like, is it, do, do I like or do I not like that she was like most men don't, or most women don't have an Adam's apple, right? Do I like that biological essentialist take? Like, mm-hmm. n- no, but do I think that it's true and like true to how people talk about that experience right. of I don't have you are Vita, right? Like to me, I don't sure. I noticed all of these things, but they're not my business. And right. Like that's almost the most that you can hope for is that when someone notices, they have nothing to say. Yeah. I I also think that like, I don't know for soccer Channing's character. Right. And for the person that Carolyn represents in the real world, that's a, that's a true experience, right? Yeah. That's a true experience encountering that person or for the real person um, that Vita represents, right. Encountering a person like that. Absolutely. That story happens. And has happened. Yeah. 
So, I don't know, Matt. I love this movie. If you haven't watched it, I mean, Blythe Danner, Stockard Channing, I mean, Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, John Leguizamo. I mean, there. This sta- this is a star-studded cast. It is a delightful hour and forty-five minutes. Um, that comes with some heavy themes. I say mm-hmm. delightful, and like like. There are some heavy themes of violence that if you haven't watched this movie, the point is you should watch it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it is a movie that I feel comfortable recommending to you. If you need to, you know, take your time to look up what the pieces of it are that might make you feel uncomfortable. I hear you, yeah. but it's worth watching. Yeah. I don't know if this will go in the episode, but um, at the beginning the like literally the first scene where like Patrick Swayze is getting out of the shower and like getting <sighs> dressed and putting on makeup. The moment where he like he puts on the lipstick, right, and then like looks yeah. in the mirror. I swear to God, Thea Kano, it, if you're hearing this, this is like <laughs> I'm telling you, you look like Patrick Squeezy. He looks like Thea Kano, the director of the Gay Men's Course of Washington. Which, like, oh my that is a compliment. Yeah, please take that as a compliment, Thea Kano. <laughs> yeah, I there. I mean, I feel like I could talk about this movie for so much longer, right? Like. And I think that we could do a scene by scene watch through where I'm stopping us every two minutes to screech about some fashion choice or some hair choice or some cinema cinematography choice, right? Like, no, is it the most beautiful, well shot film? Like, is it a rival? No. Right. Which I think is one of the most beautiful well shot films. That's a personal opinion. Okay. I mean, I fully <laughs> right? agree with that. I know. I know that I said it was for you. That was for you. Um, right. It's like that but movie like, and Roma are two of my favorite cinematic, like, <laughs> Just, but just there are also shots, right, of of this movie that are so like rooted. I mean, I think even just the moment where she pushes back her hair and her mm-hmm. posture changes, and she clearly is like, "Here I am," mm-hmm. right? Like the the these little moments, I could just talk about it forever. That moment, I feel like I didn't even talk about the Rachel tensions bo- jokes enough. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, the moment where she pushes her hair back specifically, uh, I've done this like yes. four times today, reminded me of that scene in Andor uh, with oh. Luthen, where he like his whole vibe changes. In that case, I think Luthen is playing a part, right? right. Um, and in this case, Vita is like, I think I agree, becoming herself, right? Yes. Um, th- so, but it just it, it they felt like and it felt like an echo of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I think, oh my gosh, <laughs> we should go back, go back and put this in when we're talking about the uh, friendships of the townspeople, okay. because how did I skip the part where Vita gives the shopkeep boy the, the DW Valentine book <laughs> and then he's reading it and he's like, I, I, I love Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is just like a funny, sweet little exchange. And like, I love the way that it, it changes the confidence of this young person. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't love what it says about like, oh, you can cure a study or by confidence. Like that's not necessarily true, but (laughs) it's just like a sweet little, a sweet little thing Mm -hmm. that I think is so cute. Yeah. I like the movie. It's good. Watch it watch it all right i think that's the episode um i think so i do not know what i'll be talking about next time but you will find out next time and i'm sure can it be boy genius i so i've been thinking about this episode i don't know that i know (laughs) enough to do an episode of boy genius i've been listening to the the latest album though it's very good sure i haven't listened to it yet 
Wait, okay. One of the things that's in here um, is um, this link to this Reddit post with um, pictures of them on set. Oh, I and, like, them. <laughs> they're so, they're so good. good. I love all the outfits that they were testing out that didn't make it into yes. the movie. Yes, they're beautiful. I am obsessed with them. Also, the image of uh, all three actors like looking in the mirror with the Julie Newmar yes, photo. Yes, it's so sweet. Um, I've been thinking about doing the Survivor episode. Unfortunately, that means I'll have to watch a lot of Survivor, which I don't know that I have the time to do. But I think that's something we might do soon. Ooh, okay. I've never watched a lot of Survivor. I can give you a um, season to watch. Okay, I would do that. Heroes versus villains. Okay. I have been watching on Dropout TV the... Do you know, Dropout TV mm-hmm. is like Dimension 20. Have you watched any of Game Changer? I've seen pieces of Game Changer. I've seen like okay. the famous uh, Brennan rant. Ah, um, uh, yes. yes. I've seen that one. It's a big old goose egg, yeah. gang. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my favorite actually things about that monologue, that rant, is that people like think that it was scripted. But like the reality is, is that that show, right, is like an edited show. Mm-hmm. And Brennan in a talkback episode for a different dimension 20 show. Like when it was all virtual on zoom at one point is like, I would never set up my players to fail. Yep. And he's like talking to Sam and Sam is there. Sam starts laughing. Um, he uses Sam's like legal first name to call him out. And then somebody's like, wait, it didn't take you that long to figure it out. And he was like, you really think that it took me 45 minutes <laughs> to figure it out. And so it's actually, no, it, it it's not scripted, but he has been stewing <laughs> for, he's guessed it many. He's been like, I, okay, I get it. Yeah. I, I can't win. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's like, anyway, yeah. it's very funny. Um, on game changer though, they have some, have, they've done some re- more recent episodes, um, that are survivor. Mm. Um, and so now they're doing, um, game changer battle Royale and he says in the intro to it, he was like, my legal team has <laughs> advised me to distance myself from the Survivor brand. <laughs> and so that's why it's called Battle Royale now. <laughs> Amazing. And Rick Devins was in the most recent episode of Battle Royale. Nice. Um, yeah, maybe we'll do that one soon. Um what am I going to say? Because actually at this point, the show is going to be out and we're actually working towards it. So, hey, if you Ooh. like this show, Ooh. please follow it or subscribe or whatever you need to do on the place that you are listening or want to listen to us. Wherever you get podcasts. Yes. Tell your friends about it because that's how podcasts grow. I'm not going to tell you to review anything. I don't know if that actually does anything. It's better that you tell your friends. It's nice if you want to say nice things, though. Yeah. We, we like that. My name is Matt Horton. You can find me online at matthorton.live. And AC, where can people find you on the internet? My name is AC. You can find me at AC Fachi. That's A-C-F-A-C-C-I on Twitter. And we'll talk to you next time. We'll talk to you next time. Wait. Don't, don't stop it yet. We'll see you next time. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar.